Yeah, thank you for this uh, introduction, and um, I'm, I'm happy to be here with you. Um, and um, thank you for the opportunity um, to present uh, our research idea. Um, uh, modern societies are in a, a race to the future. Um, and um, the future is open, um, you said it. Um, um, and uh, who is in a race, in an open room, um, he needs a plan. Um, and um, uh, in the last uh, centuries, um, men um, looked at the plan, and today we are, we are in the race without a plan. And, um, and therefore, uh, please um, let me try uh, to, uh, to think um, what could be the plan. How does modern society work? This question is not trivial. Um, where, where does society exist? Uh, what is the, is the central reference? The old national society, which 100 or 150 years ago, was still the natural frame of reference. Um, today, uh, it has opened up and interlocked internationally. But the global society is a complex thing. Another problem is that uh, every description of social reality is a social construction, a product of society. Where should the neutral position be from which it can be observed? We all are members of society and there are no position in the outer space um, to look uh, on societies. Um, Self-images uh, are more difficult to obtain than images um, of objects that can be perceived from a distance. Every image of society becomes part of a network of preconceptions and interests, um, be they economic, economic, political or um, ideological. Normative ideas of what the world should be like um, are one thing. A descriptive uh, analysis of social reality, uh, that is statements on how the world is and how something works, are something else. But both classes of statements, the normative and the descriptive, are uh, linked. It is not possible to analyze uh, the world society completely descriptively, sociologically, um, or economically, without being guided by fundamental paradigmatic images. Such preprints possess a Dissianist or normative core. There are normative foundations of our thinking that secretly influence 
um, and guide every sober description, every data analysis. We measure, for example, social inequality. But why do we think this is negative? And why do we see a need for action? Why is the convergence of living conditions or growing conformity not a problem? People need images, but we all work with images of people, of human being, of man, or of society, of the social world. Often these are uh, political or moral models, um, beacons and order grids of the discussion. Every form of political rule is interested in such images. But even a dictator cannot produce or control self-images of a society at will. Since the beginning of the modern era, typical images of people and the world have developed that were tailored to the functional conditions of the new type of society. Normative models may be stubborn. Uh, we know it in Japan, we know it also in the history of Germany, but in the long run, they must also be compatible with social reality. Otherwise, either the models will fade or reality will be forced to adapt. Mm. In the Christian Middle Ages and in Islam, there was a ban on interest. Unlike today, in the face of negative interest rates, um, although here to a ban uh, has recently been demanded um, uh, for the negative um, interest rates, um, a modern economy uh, with its hunger for capital could not have developed had risky loans not been profitable. One can observe how to ban on interest was undermined um, or circumvented because the pressure of a dynamically developing monetary economy brought about this. But one can also find evidence that religiously motivated adherence to the ban on interest or other practices of religious ethics hinders economic developments. In modern times, images of society have developed that are still influential today. A society can design itself as a sum of self-determined of self persons. Each person pursues his or her own plans, but must perceive the other person at least as an object, but uh, regularly also as a subject. Even 
with a strong methodical individualism, this requires a social order um, in, the, in the way uh, like Thomas Hobbes. In this view, um, the individual person knows best what is good for him or her. Everyone is responsible for their actions and for their free development as a person. Each individual with conscience and self-confidence is ultimately also the reference of every greater order. This is regarded as a liberal uh, view of the world. Uh, it is not new, but, um, but it's a thing that we have to remember. Society can also viewed from the perspective of any kind of collective and uh, can be measured from there. History experienced uh, the strong nation, uh, the holy nation of the state, which in its absolute reason was superior to everything else. Here also Germany and Japan are examples for this um, thinking. Um, we know the reference of religious or cultural communities. Um, it is always revolving around some grown of constructed collective order whose preservation and self-assertion are crucial. This order, its harmony, its power, is then placed in the center, its value highly prized. For mm, in the collectivist perspective, it is the order that makes the individual human being what it is, because he or she um, or um, he or she depends on it. Um, Old conservative worldviews, autocratic regimes, but also democratically legitimized state or international technocracies draw their arguments from this collectivist pool. A society can also be understood as an essentially economically determined association um, as a class society based on private property that submits to the anonymous laws of the market of capital and of its economic utility. And this reference can be linked to a moral argument of inequality. Um, if this economic order exists only for the benefit uh, of the rich private owners and to the, um, to, um, the 
detriment of the dispossessed. Uh, Marxism draws its arguments for um, accusations against uh, the existing conditions from this idea and creates a um, utopian uh, picture of a classless society. Political collectivism with stands behind the critique of economic power relations um, is concealed by the distance goal of free association, which would actually be liberal, um, be liberal society, again, only without private property. I think that doesn't work, but uh, it's uh, the idea. Um, for the decisive collective, for, for the decisive collective, until the distant ideal, uh, ideal, ideal state is reached, uh, it is um, the oppressed and disenfranchised class in whose name one acts. Through the current concentrated perception of global warming, the old contrast between mankind and nature becomes uh, topical, again, topical again for the self-description and the self-design of society. Nature can be understood as an inviolable order of creation. It's um, preservation and care as a moral reference for human action. This is the ecological, the green position that tells of a society that has subdued the earth, destroyed it over and over again, and endangered all natural foundations, foundations for which reason it must finally be transformed into a nature-compatible society. All these positions, the liberal, the collective, um, and uh, this position, uh, are politically shaped or exploited models that tell how a society actually, in fact, function. Actual functioning is often a discussion led by economists, sociologists, or political scientists. The normative questions are the responsibility of theories of justice. Such theories are linked to um, politically or religiously uh, founded morality or the basic normative models of constitutional law. Constitutional law is sometimes in the USA or Germany understood as a piece of theory of the society in itself. When the values of fundamental, uh, fundamental rights or the rules of a democratic society are discussed. Of course, no constitution um, is a 
theory of society, but the rules of a constitution reflect a certain image of man and of society, a mirror of the um, images of uh, society in the world of law. The mm, Research College of uh, Normative Social Foundations in Bonn want to build a bridge uh, between the description of the functioning of society on the one um, side and the discussion of how a society should be constituted on the other side. Um, the description of the functioning of modern society is based on modern social science findings above all on the systems a theory approach of German uh, sociologist uh, Niklas Luhmann. Society can be perceived and uh, analyzed uh, from different perspectives. Action theory, for example, um, starts with the intentions and actions of individuals who can be observed. This is the micro level of society. In systems theory, on the other hand, uh, it is observed how the major functional systems, such as uh, economy, politics, law, science, or religion, religion behave. Um, this large uh, social systems follow their own specific operational logic. They organize themselves according to their own laws. They are self-referential, which, relation, which relationships arise to each other, how are they interconnected or coupled? These are topics of a description on the macro level. The research college assumes that there is a connection between these perspectives that institutions enable ruled-guided behavior adaptively between the will and the need of the individual on the one hand and the functional requirements of large systems on the other. For this sociological approach, actors, uh, that means people, men, are personal systems personal systems, not social systems, that find their um, decisive place in their own consciousness. Um, communication between a personal system, us, you and I, in our own consciousness, um, between uh, and a functional system, a social system, um, for example, in the law system, 
um, is only possible through institutions. Um, institutions are ru rule, rule the systems and behavioral guidelines that have at least two sides. Institutions are accepted normative orders that are connected with a life practice. Institutions are necessary for the structural coupling between otherwise, otherwise very independent functional systems of society, but also between functional systems and personal systems. The connection between the social world and our self-consciousness. Um, such an institution on a very abstract level uh, in the relationship between social systems and personal systems is language, which forms with its grammar its own order and in its field of application its own practice which makes communication both possible and, and limited, but which also structures thinking um, individual, individual uh, consciousness. Lawyers are not linguists, um, but mm, which uh, is why they are familiar uh, with far more concrete structural couplings which uh, are called institutions in law. Private autonomy or contractual freedom have something to do with hum human self-perception. At the same time, they are decisive focal points for the economy and for the law. Uh, private autonomy and uh, contractual freedom also make the political system connectable via the institution of citizenship. Marriage, too, uh, is perhaps a somewhat faded fundamental institution, which in the past has fulfilled much more clearly economic, cultural, and political functional needs, and which, uh, with a certain semantics in bourgeois society, has been deeply anchored emotionally in people's everyday lives. Legal institutions, such as private autonomy, or democracy are linked to a normative image of man, that of a self-determined subject. Anyone who makes a declaration of intent, such um, as the acceptance of an installment credit agreement offered, can regard him or herself as sovereign and learn to bear consequences. For its part, the legal system operates with a dogmatism 
that considers its decisive what legal subjects have declared. Consistent statements about legal consequences are then derived from this. The awareness um, of one's own decision-making power and the legal consequence of a binding effect are not the same, but they are structurally coupled in the institute of private autonomy. The modern understanding of democracy follows this model and considers the majority's decision to vote not only for functional reasons, but normatively indispensable, because it is the starting point of all political legitimation, all state power emanates from the people. Institutions can be differently developed and function differently. They are often surprisingly resistant to processes of change, but they can, of course, change themselves, be replaced by something else, or even be destroyed without replacement with considerable consequences, which are not always immediately, immediately apparent. Coupling services for the political system of authority can be provided by institutional ideas of democracy, but also by the institution of the state as a rational body of authority, which does not necessarily have to be democratic or constitutional. It is always characteristic of fundu fundamental, fundamental institutions that they ultimately uh, make smooth interaction and cohesion of society possible. Western society, for example, can only function if private autonomy is anchored as an institution jointly with private property. An institution is always normatively defined as a social pattern of behavior, whether through moral concepts or legal or religious safeguards. But every institution also needs everyday practice. Um, it must be accepted and practiced uh, practiced by people, possibly uh, believed um, in a transcendental civil-religious sense. Many people in Germany lose the view um, of private property as a um, prerequisite for self-determined life in their savings do not earn interest and the inflation rate slowly but steadily destroys their monetary <coughs> property. They experience 
that as owners of real estate, they become nominally rich through rising prices, but um, that their freedom of action does not increase as a result. Nobody gives up real estate ownership if they only receive book money in return, which does not earn interest in traditional forms of investment. So far, Germans have not only traditionally liked to save money, they also like to be tenants. Um, the state has um, accommodated them with a tenancy law that has considerably limited the ownership powers uh, over living space, social tenancy law. Today, some even want um, more. Mm, they want to nationalize the housing industry so that rents in urban areas uh, remain low. Um, they, they should visit Tokyo. Um, another, another example is pensions, um, which have always been dependent um, on the amount of one's own contribution. Contributions qualified by the German Federal Constitutional Court as a property position. Today, the connection between this property position, the entitlement, is increasingly being broken um, because even without the equivalent of corresponding contributions, a basic pension is financed, financed, uh, financed uh, by with tax revenues in the existing social security system. This in turn weakens the link between property positions and the standard of living. If we do not pay attention here, mm, the connection between individual performance, savings and subsequent gain in freedom resulting from a self-created basis of existence will disappear from people's mind. The idea that the state is the source of prosperity and of good life then takes the place of this institution of private law society. Sociologically, this only shifts the normative system from the individual to the collective focus, but with considerable unpredictable consequences for the functioning and cohesion of modern Western society and for the practical foundation of democracy, of, of democracy. Um, there was and there is no democracy without a free market.
No, no in history and n on no place um, on earth. Um, constitutional law can be understood as a legal mirror of the fundamental normative matrix of Western societies, but also as a compass that points the way with fundamental institutional models. The aim of an interdisciplinary, better informed and reflexive jurisprudence um, is to make a contribution to social enlightenment. Major social issues uh, such uh, as the digital transformation of the world, the hasty development of uh, artificial intelligence, ecological relation uh, transformation, uh, new geopolitical um, power relations, um, erosion processes uh, of democracy and statehood, changes in the creation of economic value and everyday social practice are no longer understood to an appropriate degree in science and society and are described in such a way that strategic, well-considered decisions are possible. Today, more than a few decades ago, it remains unclear what a fair World Trade Organization should look like in the system of unilateral thinking. What will be the future of central bank policy? What are the normative requirements of fundamental rights and democratic values? And what are the functional and economic consequences of the current policies of large Western central banks? Does Western individualism with its idea of man need an institution such as cash? Um, is it right that the salvation of the world climate should no longer be based on individual ethics because there is not enough time? Um, how much freedom of decision is to be left to artificial intelligence? We all read the books of Harari and, uh, and there is, a, is the opinion that uh, there is no future for individual um, autonomy. Um, will it be possible uh, in the future to grant uh, artificial, uh, artificial intelligence its own legal subjectivity, or should such a thing be considered for higher animals as well? Um, uh, is the introduction, introduction or strengthening of corporate criminal law compatible with the personality of our legal system? Is the introduction of an unconditional basic income 
um, meaningful for these uh, fundamental institutions of our society or dangerous. We have to discuss it. Um, all these questions cannot be answered by law, by law alone, nor by um, sociology or economists uh, or social psychology uh, on their own. Ultimately, we need a better ability to recognize institutions as fundamental, to discuss them and to critically analyze change processes affecting them. Only then can, we, can the danger uh, be counteracted uh, that Western societies, driven by their high efficiency, lose sight in their own institutional foundations and thus endanger themselves. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, um, Professor Di Fabio, for this thought-provoking um, thought uh, speech. And now we'll have uh, four uh, responses. And let me... So uh, first we hear the comment by Professor Hayashi, please. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Kaori Hayashi, and I am a, a media and journalism scholar. And uh, today I would like to uh, talk about the uh, difficulties of uh, distinguishing the normative uh, to, uh, how would you say, the, uh, to, to, to try to how we um, separate normative way of analysis and descriptive way of analysis as a part of the sociologist view. And I'm sure that I, I got this manuscript from, uh, uh, from the, uh, Di Fabio, Professor Di Fabio, and it, was, it is quite difficult. And uh, I myself uh, have translated uh, Nicholas Luhmann's uh, Reality of the Mass Media, Reality of the Mass Media, into Japanese, which was, so I translated from uh, Luhmann German into Luhmann Japanese. So nobody really understood. It. Anyway, so and I tried to make it a little bit more uh, uh, close to our reality, so that you and I, give, I I show you some of the pictures, so that you have some sort some sort of idea of what I'm talking. And uh, and as uh, Professor Di Fabio uh, showed us our plan and how we go forward. And this is the so to say my. Uh, so to say, problems and so, uh, and how do you say the the uh, views that the difficulties of how I go, uh, how how I proceed to my uh, research. Anyway, uh, Professor Di Fabio's proposal was to build a bridge between the description of the functioning of modern society and the discussion of how a society should be constituted. And the description of the functioning of modern society is based on modern social science findings. Above all, he suggested, on the systems theory approach of German sociologist Nic Nicholas Luhmann. Uh, I don't know whether everybody knows about it. I don't have the time to explain all the <laughs> theories of uh, Nicholas Luhmann that this is impossible. Uh, if, but uh, uh, 
constraint in the mass media system. According to Luhmann, he said that the mass media system operates with the code information and not information. He always said there's a logic inside the system, and this logic uh, dictates. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, dictates uh, how uh, how one system operates. And the, n another thing is that it is an autopoetic, self-reproducing, and closed system. So I have two contentions or problems with this system, uh, with this theory. First, he is uh, arguing that it is one closed system. And secondly, he, he contends that the coding code is information, not information, which I don't know what it means, actually. <laughs> and the first case, reports from Fukushima. And I think everybody knows that Fukushima has a problem. I went there this September, and there's still areas that uh, that you can't go beyond the, uh, beyond the board, uh, beyond this point because the, the radiation contamination is very serious, so that it it is harmful to your body. Now, the journalist ethics: how to deal with the stories on the radiation risks that has no standard scientific guidance? The, a low dose uh, contamination is very, very uh, difficult to capture, and uh, nobody really knows, uh, or it is very controversial. And journalists usually have a very uh, uh, have difficulties how to uh, uh, approach this issue. And journalists cannot bracket their values and com com commitments that guide their personal lives and beliefs in reporting on Fukushima. Because if you are, if, if you believe in contamination, in low doses, then you have a different different. Uh, style of uh, do, of uh, reporting, and if you want to stick to the very objective way, then you have a different different way of uh, reporting. So framing stories as conflicts between calm scientists' authorities versus, for example, hysteric mothers is all too easy way to describe the situation. So reporting on Fukushima requires more than value-free, truth-telling, objective mode of journalism. So how do we go up to go, go approach this issue with the Lumanian <laughs> theories? It's so difficult, and I don't have the answer. And today's theme is that uh, we we argue with the, argue the question without answer. So this is an appropriate <laughs> example. And another thing, uh, this is the case uh, Me Too movement in Japan. In 2017, I think some of you know and some other, others uh, don't know, so I explained a little bit. In 2017, journalist Shiori Ito came forward to the public and accused of a prominent journalist, Noriyuki Yamaguchi, of rape. And Yamaguchi, uh, a U.S. correspondent for the Tokyo Broadcasting System and the biographer of Japan's Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, denied the charge. So how did the uh, media report it? I counted them. You see, uh, in the entire two years, the three conservative uh, media only reported twice, whereas other media, well, a little bit more, but altogether 77. Uh, articles only. And our neighbor in the Korea, South Korea, there, there's a similar incident about prosecutor Suji Hyun in a quite a similar uh, timing. And then I, uh, uh, my, my, my student counted it, and it's a big, big difference, right? So thousands, and I understand that these uh, newspapers in Korea are quite conservative. They are not radical and liberal, 
but they did report this uh, uh, this this incident. And above all, I don't uh, I don't contend or Korea is not better off in terms of gender equity. In if if you see the global gender gap index in 2018, so how does that come from? So whose reality is the traditional media producing? And is mass media really an autonomic, autopoetic system? And why are there such a wide gap in reports between South Korea and Japan? Now, so I have problems with Luhmann's description, which is a very, in the sociology world, it is, so to say, a very strictly descriptive, uh, theoretically strict, uh, big theories. Uh, and, uh, but I have this problem with this blanket, blanket description of system. And in terms of media, I don't know about the law, I don't know about the politics, but in terms of the media, media world, drastic changes are taking place in the media landscape. You know, everybody, that nobody, you wouldn't see anybody now in the subway uh, reading a paper, newspapers. Right? You, everybody look at the smart, their smartphones. And Luhmann's theory fails to capture uninstitutionalized emerging phenomena. And also, on top of that, additionally, the Luhmann's theory can or may or and it does endorse past or present modern systems that are firmly established. So I feel it indirectly stands for the autonomous, rational male and European-centric human image. This is a very controversial point, but, and Luhmann denies any value-oriented descriptions. But in the end, if he endorses the system that is currently there and present, then it has some connotation of endorsing the male <coughs> oriented, European-centric, autonomous, rational, human image. I don't know. Maybe we can argue about it. <laughs> and so the code, I go back to the code. Code is the logic of the system. Code information and not the information does not explain any of the most important problems and acute phenomena in the present digital media culture. So. Information, not information, as we saw in the case of Ito Shiori and Me Too movement, it's decided outside the media system. And the concept, structural coupling, which also Luhmann contends that because the system has sort of coupling so that it influences each other, is to, to me too vague to start any meaningful analysis. So, um, I'd suggest, for example, some of the codes the media uh, uh, has to operate. For example, authentic or not authentic, instead of information or not information. Because you know the Twitters, and you see who is Twittering, and whether this is more, how do you say, uh, authentic, yeah? Uh, it's not about the content you see. It's about who says it, and oh, I'm, I have to stop. Uh, who says it, and how it's, it, it is said. So, oh, yeah, okay. And I, I'm, I'm finishing it. 
And or the another code is creative or not creative instead of professional or not professional. You know, it doesn't matter whether the uh, professional journalist is the producing a content or not. It is more the attention is more how it is created, whether it is funny or it, it is nice and so on, uh, or it is more persuasive and so on. So you know the, about this, uh, the, the, um, this, this uh, Tim Hunt, Nobel laureate, he was attacked uh, because he had a very derogatory uh, comments on women, and then he had to resign from the honorary post from, uh, at UCL and damaged, damaged its reputation. And all the Twitters from women scientists, that destroyed his reputation and his college. And also, uh, we, I don't talk about it further, but uh, we have problems of uh, fake news. And that operates in a very different logic as we expect from the conventional mass media. So what do we do about it? I have no idea. I have no answer. Idea I have, but I, I don't have answers. Okay, thank you very much. So let's uh, quickly, thank you very much, Kavi, uh, Kaori, and let's move on quickly to the next uh, comment. Thank you very much. Um, I really enjoyed, first of all, reading uh, Professor De Fabius' comment, uh, uh, draft, as well as I joined some of his uh, public talk this week. So um, um, I'm also very honored to give this chance to comment. Uh, my background is completely, again, different from my previous uh, uh, speaker. And uh, I'm basically professor of public policy and management, which is also different from a constitutional lawyer. But I have an intensive work with Italian constitutional lawyer in my past. I worked, for example, uh, with Professor uh, Sabino uh, Cassese, who had been for a long time served as a constitutional lawyer in a uh, constitutional uh, court uh, judge in, in Italy. Uh, and so forth. And uh, I also have a share, uh, a view as well as interest towards digitalization technology issue in society. Uh, and as also uh, um, um, the director um, introduced me at the very beginning that I have been working with Japanese ministries and agency, especially regarding this uh, technology, uh, let's say, introduction in uh, public policy issue. For example, I'm participating in especially national project on AI negotiation. I would come back later on this point. Um, so uh, I started to wonder what can be my contribution to this very difficult discussion. And I thought of, uh, first of all, my uh, very intuitive uh, reaction first was why there's no notion about uh, Michel Foucault, uh, who is my, my, one of my favorite uh, sociologists, although I have no background of sociology. I have cited uh, Michel Foucault for my study on uh, governance and governmentality. So I would like to uh, add a little bit um, to this discussion on different um, kind of theory which was not appearing. But it was not just in Queensland, because I think governmentality comes from the very fact that people, individual, act rationally. And that's also the argument I think uh, Professor Hayashi uh, talked about a rational model by Lumen 
and uh, which is probably not necessary fitting to different culture. And I thought that might be interesting thing. Um, however, my background and I have some argument regarding on this point, which is about difference between rule of law, traditional rule of law and procedure uh, respecting traditional public administration versus more modern uh, type of approach using more economic theory, etc. And finally, uh, Professor Di Fabio talked about different issues and um, open questions. And I would just like to pick up a couple of things, especially about technological transformation and its consequence in our public life. And first of all, about norm. Um, we know that norms, rules, uh, and all of these things are very important. And of course, uh, as a public uh, administration scientist, we cannot, I cannot just uh, not mentioning Max Weaver. And uh, he basically talked about principle of bureaucracy, as you can see here. Uh, the question is, um, however, he's strongly based on rule and uh, requirement for a personal and individual action uh, of course, bind it inside an institution. Uh, however, this rule has been criticized quite strongly in recent years, not only to mention uh, Mr. Trump, who likes to talk about red tape, but uh, all of uh, all of a sudden in 80s and 90s, all of the society and also the political leaders talking about how to cut the red tape. And this was a starting point of how to also distract actually rule and requirement from different theories. Uh, one of the theories that I wanted to add was about motivation, thinking about if you are motivated uh, without, even without a regulation or rule, you would behave ethically. And this is uh, something that probably a very ideologistic as well as ide ideologistic uh, way of thinking. But finally, Another point of view, which is uh, very strongly stressed by recent scholars in public administration as well as also economy, is this uh, governance theory. Uh, basically, uh, co-creation, co-designing, co-production with citizens is, is, is better than just a bunch of professional working on something. So as a matter of fact, like in politics, even in uh, bureaucratic professionalism, somehow a kind of amateurism has been praised in last decade. And I I think this is something uh, has been distracting and uh, to a certain extent making it dangerous to think and contrasting our uh, beloved Max Weaver's idea. Um, and one of the things that I would wanted to also bring to you, probably you don't know about that, uh, in UK, uh, 1995 was the last period of major administration, so the Conservative was struggling and uh, they lose uh, the election in 1997, uh, 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 you know, uh, against um, uh, Blair. So it was a last period of struggle to how to improve the image as well as uh, efficiency of public administration, and they came up with this uh, kind of recommendations. I will not go into the detail, but just last two. They added as a principle of public servant, public servants, ethics, honesty, and leadership. I mean, honesty to bring in a national recommendation, uh, not to think about some institutional or rule binding things, but to ask for an individual honesty. I think this is a good example how the society has been changing and how the, uh, the institution has been changing. Last but not least, about leadership. Uh, however, this is something very important because 
people are starting to talk, not institution, but individual, and also the managers. So the individual manager have been given the responsibility through leadership, which indeed has another important consequence, which is public value discourse. Uh, because value could be different according to the society, according to the culture, according to the institutions that they belong to. And we cannot actually just appeal for a value. Uh, we need some institution, we, le we need some rules. However, the latest discourse is too strongly probably uh, working towards value discourse. So in a society like Japan, which is apparently quite uh, let's say, uh, unit, it might be easy to find a common value sets, but in a very diverse society, it might be very difficult. So this is something that I have been tr struggling to kind of contest uh, the recent development as well as a major uh, stream of my colleagues. So coming to the rule, I would be very quick on this. Uh, basically, uh, in a public administration study, uh, last 20, 25 years, we've been utilizing a lot of economic tools in public sector. What happened? Basically, outcome-oriented, besides traditional public administration, focus on rule and procedure. Uh, another different thing, like introducing the market principle, which was totally different in public sector in the past. Uh, last uh, but not least, for example, management by objective, typically to pu public, a private sector, and competition in institutions, which uh, actually uh, we came up with a series of critiques saying that this has brought uh, a problem also in public sector as well as in government. Major critique uh, stressed, for example, we need more to cooperate with citizens, to ask the citizens' voice. Uh, another thing is like co-production and so forth, but still then, it is really conceptual. And my question is, is it a reinventing of a traditional model or is it just a reinventing of what they have introduced uh, in 19, 1990 about the new public management? And especially on this regard, everybody was happy to discuss about co-creation, co-production with a citizen. But the real problem of co-creation, co-production with all stakeholders is that we cannot technically include all stakeholders. And on the first place, who are the stakeholders? This is my, one of my favorite uh, vignettes that uh, demonstrate that uh, there might be, um, you know, out, out of the scheme uh, kind of stakeholders. Okay, well, it was just to, <laughs> just to have some laugh. Um, and this is my core uh, comment basically uh, I I like to utilize uh, Michel Foucault because I think um, he brought a lot of interesting insight to our study of government I will not go into the detail but I think governmentality can be an interesting uh, key concept to be possibly discussed later on because he he basically says about for example it's uh, based on the willing willing participation of the governed so in a sense that the citizen uh, co-creates and participate more in governing process and this is coming from the rational choice of the citizen uh, that's also the question of uh, like professor hayashi already mentioned about uh, that rational uh, kind of western type of human being probably but also interestingly that um, uh, it based on active 
consent and willingness of individual to participate in governing process. And I think this makes some sense to discuss about this co-creation things and the whole changes in the last 20, 25 years. I'm running out of time, so I'll be very quick. Um, he also mentioned about it's about going beyond uh, the exercise of sovereign power. And I think on this regard, um, um, probably uh, Michel Foucault has certain insight, although I have to re uh, remind you that he uh, basically uh, explored this concept in 1970s. So, um, I mean, uh, he was really future-oriented. And last but not least, it is also about an uh, uh, assemblage of diverse elements practice and way of thinking coming together of both frame and resolve problems. What does it mean? Uh, Professor De Fabius' uh, talk ended with a series of questions, which I think uh, we can renominate as a wicked problems. And um, the, the idea is to have an interdisciplinary approach what on, the, on, the, on, uh, on the word of Professor Di Fabio, but in other words, uh, using, using the governmentality of Michel Foucault, it's basically what he mentioned in this phrase. And coming to this, and I would like to conclude, um, he mentioned especially on these things, among others. Uh, I just wanted to pick up this digital issue, and um, I have actually a long list of non-resolving problems, but uh, I just want to pick up one thing in particular. Uh, he mentioned about AI, artificial intelligence. Uh, artificial intelligence, fortunately, uh, would not probably go beyond the human being in a short period of time, probably after we all died. So we, we can be very happy. Um, however, the, the real problem is it is uh, working on two things, algorithm and big data. On algorithm, even uh, we can develop a good algorithm. Uh, we discovered that um, uh, AI cannot just operate and coordinate among others. They can, for example, do a very harmful issues, like we discovered that uh, in a certain situation, they would act like um, uh, bidding uh, uh, diggings. So uh, as a matter of fact, they would be not really honest in, a, in another word. Uh, of course, we can improve this algorithm, but since they also behave uh, and try to cheat each other, sometimes their behavior looks like quite human. Uh, another problem is that most of this algorithm, uh, uh, artificial intelligence actually work with big data and learns so-called uh, machine learning and deep learning. And in order to do so, our data, our personal data, our personal behavior, our concept, our perceptions would be utilized a part of this learning procedure. So as a matter of fact, the, the real problem is that do we have and do we, can we keep uh, the classical understanding of uh, writing a law and making a regulation and making the society fit to the regulation or sometimes giving the license or these kind of things or not. And indeed, I would like to conclude with one example, which is the Tesla uh, auto, autopilot system. You know, the Tesla uh, with its uh, very crazy, but at the same time, very genius uh, founder has been creating this um, automotive, uh, aut autopilot system and even they have a lot of uh, dispute as well as controversially, uh, they're selling to the market and people are riding their car and driving. And through this possibility, they're actually collecting data and 
improving their product. In a certain sense, uh, their consumers, their drivers are becoming a, a caviar, but at the same time, they're a precious source of data. And on, only on this way, they can improve the, uh, this automatic machines. And on this regard, I don't have, like Professor Fabio demonstrated, I have no question, uh, no uh, answer at all, but further probably new questions. And um, thank you very much. And I would like to conclude with here and looking forward for the discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you, <clears throat> Hiroko. Now we come to the third comment by Frank Röwekamp and... Thank you very much. Um, so my name again, Frank Röwekamp uh, from Ludwigshafen University. And as a, a former businessman um, and giving a, a, a different perspective here, I like uh, uh, to bring some practical remarks, uh, practical remarks a little bit concretely uh, also about uh, Germany and Japan. And uh, Professor Di Fabio's uh, paper, How Does uh, Society Work? And not only this paper, also your, your further uh, work and books very much uh, concern also uh, concrete examples about uh, Germany and um, Western societies. And uh, you made a statement uh, also here today which says, uh, fundamental institutions make smooth interaction and cohesion of society possible. No? I think you are very much concerned with cohesion of society. And uh, there's also uh, a certain warning uh, you give, which says Western societies may lose uh, sight of their own institutional foundations and uh, thereby um, lose sight of uh, cohesion of society. I have to say um, I agree here. And um, I'm currently teaching at Sophia University uh, a course which involves German politics and uh, German energy transition, uh, for example. And uh, I like to play little videos for the students and uh, discuss with them, all young Japanese students. And uh, uh, the young Japanese students were stunned, uh, for example, by an interview of, uh, with uh, Annegret Kamp-Karrenbauer. Uh, the um, president, the chairwoman of the Christian Democrats in Germany. And uh, it was after the uh, state elections, uh, I think, in, in Thüringen or before uh, Sachsen, I don't remember. And uh, uh, somebody asked, well, 25% um, or so have uh, voted for the uh, far-right uh, AFD. No? Uh, um, and can you... Um, can you really ignore 25% of, of the people? Well, in, in this interview, it, she said yes. Uh, she corrected herself uh, the next day and said, uh, well, uh, Christian Democrats uh, uh, work for all people. Ne? Uh, but it, it was uh, and, uh, the Japan, young Japanese students were shocked about this. Ne? They were really shocked. Ne? And. Um, and then uh, another example was about uh, some projects against uh, uh, wind energy in Thüringen before the state elections. And, uh, 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 and there was a, l a lot of uh, um, 
um, resistance and uh, and people who, who were angry. And uh, the candidate of the Green Party then um, uh, said, yes, well, but uh, if we do not fulfill our, our promise of keeping uh, increase in temperature 1.5 percent, um, then then mankind is doomed. And then the young students agreed, but asked the question, how, how much uh, CO2 output has Turing? <laughs> and uh, I couldn't answer. I only knew 2% uh, for whole Germany. Ne? And then somebody remarked, well, but even if there would be, all Germans would not be there anymore. It wouldn't affect the climate so strongly, ne? doesn't it? Ne? Well, anyway, uh, it's an example. I, I believe rightly so that uh, Germany uh, is playing a little bit with the cohesion of, uh, of society, a bit too much, uh, uh, I sometimes think. But uh, I'm also keenly uh, always interested in comparing uh, Germany uh, with Japan. And here I, I would like to make a few remarks uh, about personal observations about Japan. And uh, I think uh, Japan successfully strongly stresses social cohesion. Uh, despite all the talk sometimes, yeah, kaksa shakai and uh, difference in society and, uh, uh, and poor and rich, yes, 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 okay, okay, okay. But I think uh, it's a strong, still very strong social cohesion and, uh, and, and successfully, and I have to say also pleasantly ne, for a foreigner. Ne? That's why all these Shinkansen go on time so, so rightly. Ne? And we feel so safe and uh, great service is really good. And, um, and uh, also connected to this, ne, national pride, um, social cohesion is also brought about by, by national pride. Uh, national pride is used for that. And, uh, and uh, I came to think, yeah, what is the basis of this and the, uh, the foundations of this? And uh, two days ago, uh, Professor Di Fabio and myself visited uh, the Emperor's Palace. Uh, we had uh, a look at the uh, uh, Daijoku, um, the uh, structures now which were built for this very elaborate uh, ceremony. Um, of imperial succession, and I came to think again, yeah, these elaborate, very, very elaborate uh, things of imperial succession and emperor system, that's also, for example, one institution of, uh, of social cohesion, certainly. Ne? Then I noted again all the uh, um, very small security guards ne? In, uh, in the emperor's palace, ne? telling us, be careful, it's raining. Don't slip, yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, go on the left side uh, and on the right side, and uh, and it's uh, a bit funny sometimes, ne? but it's also ne? Uh, you see these security guards on on all construction sites and everywhere, ne? and uh, uh, cross, crossing a street sometimes we have three of them, and uh, um, and it's also I think uh, reflecting. Um, a focus on social cohesion. Then on the other hand, sometimes it's, uh, the image is, uh, I have to say, sorry for that, and, uh, uh, is not uh, always so, uh, so nice. Ne? So, um, for example, 
we have now a, a, a Japanese uh, yeah, national pride and we have a history book, ne? a history book by an author called uh, Hyakuta Naoki. And it's about Japanese history and uh, it's a huge success. The, the book is a huge success. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a number one bestseller and there are follow-ups and so on. And this, uh, this book is about uh, a national pride, uh, sometimes, um, in my personal view, a bit questionable, uh, the contents of this book. And I think uh, it's uh, discussed extensively. Uh, sometimes it's, it's uh, yeah, mm, sorry, I would say rather right-wing sometimes. And, uh, but this is also uh, about national pride and cohesion, uh, uh, also ref reflecting this, this focus, this strong focus on, on national, uh, uh, on, on social cohesion. Ne? And what I would like to say is, yeah, social cohesion is nice. I pointed it out and I really mean it. But sometimes social cohesion also has risks. Not social cohesion has risk, but too much focus on social cohesion may have risks. And what may be the risks here um, in, in the Japanese case? Um, it, some of the risks may, by all this focus on social co cohesion, you may miss to address some very fundamental problems um, which may sometimes disturb social cohesion. For example, um, the problem of democratic change. No? Um, you have to do maybe things no? which are not so good immediately for social cohesion, but uh, which are necessary. Or you pile up uh, risks. For example, you have successful monetary policies currently, yes, but uh, uh, it's nice, but risks are piling up there. And... Uh, and uh, we need to do something about it sooner or later. And uh, if you are so uh, afraid of uh, any ditches in social cohesion, maybe you are too late to take the right measures. Or I just mentioned nuclear policy. Or I would also mention the risk of uh, potential international Isolation, for example, yeah, out maybe of national pride, yeah, Japan withdrew a little example ne, from the International Whaling Commission ne, because uh, they think it's so important to, to hunt whales. Ne? Um, and I, I ask, is it worth? Is it worth? And uh, is it not better uh, to sometimes say, yeah, okay, we do not really believe in that, but uh, um, maybe we continue with that. Ne? Or I, it's, a, it's a hot topic, so I don't want to delve deeply into it. Um, current relationships with, uh, with Korea. Um, certainly, you may think uh, uh, there, there are issues on, on, on the Korean side. I, I would also say so. Ne? But sometimes I ask myself, cannot uh, Japan, uh, with all national pride, uh, react to this in a, in a somewhat greater way instead of engaging in a tit-for-tat uh, little fight with the neighbor? Because in, in, in its own interest, ne? because geopolitical 
um, conditions get really difficult. And just by personal friendship of Mr. Abe and Mr. Trump might not be enough. Ne? Um, and so there's a risk of maybe international um, isolation also. Ne? So to sum up, I think, I really think, I think Germany and Japan have a lot in common, but still Germany and Japan sometimes are also different and still can learn a lot from each other. And uh, to sum up, I would say currently, in my view, Germany is not focusing enough on social cohesion recently, and I think this is risky. And sometimes I come to think as an observer, a long-year observer, sometimes Japan is focusing a little bit too much on social cohesion, you have already it. And, uh, uh, and always focusing on it is not always necessary. And, and too much focusing on it is also very risky. So maybe some middle ground can be found again. And uh, an analytical framework ne, of society and of uh, institutions, a framework such as uh, Professor Di Fabio offered, um, may give hints here how to find such middle grounds and how to implement things finally in practical politics. Thank you very much. Thank you, Frank. Uh, so as I said, I put myself on the list as an economist uh, with a different perspective, also inspired, of course, by the paper, but uh, I could see from the <coughs> three responses, um, the broad, how broad the topic is and uh, the various aspects that one can pick up uh, when, when discussing that paper uh, from Luhmann to public policy to the energy transition and, and social cohesion. As an economist, I, of course, I have been working on Japan uh, for very long. And um, I, uh, one of my interests were to uh, um, look at differences, of course, in the institutional setup between uh, German and Japanese economy. So um, I've been, uh, since my dissertation in the mid-1980s, been involved with uh, the economic institutional analysis or comparative institutional analysis. And um, this is uh, an endless endeavor uh, because uh, the concept to get at uh, a, a good operational definition of what an institution is and how we define it and 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 so on at least in economics um, it's not so easy everything at some stage becomes an institution and um, so um, but nevertheless I, I I think it's an interesting uh, it gives an interesting guidance to interesting topics but um, what I then, um, in my research on, on Japan and Japanese economic development, um, uh, discovered was something that I feel is too much neglected, maybe because it's even more difficult than dealing with society, and, and that is the question of uh, knowledge and the role, the connection between knowledge and institutions. In a way, institutions are a kind of... Uh, um, what do you say? They 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 have sort of uh, 
installed in them a lot of social knowledge, a lot of past knowledge, and this is sort of implicitly passed on. So we can we can think of institutions as sort of storages of of uh, of knowledge in a way, um, but that's not um, that's not what I want to to develop here. Um, I was very much fascinated by you. You briefly mentioned uh, Yuval Harari uh, by his narrative about the the link between technology, knowledge, which he calls myth, myths, and or religions or ideologies, <laughs> and a social structure. And um, I think this is a very powerful narrative. It's very broad. Of course, uh, many historians will say it's, well, it, it, in detail it never fits, but uh, the big grand story, I think it's, it's an interesting story. And um, so uh, in a way, uh, what is driving, what is driving our, uh, why, why do we talk about knowledge? Why do we talk about knowledge society? Because I think knowledge is the driver of social change, the growth of knowledge and maybe also changes in the, in, in the knowledge that society possesses. In economics, we have growth theory. Uh, traditionally, growth theory is based on the class structure, the British class structure, the landlords, the capitalists, and the workers. <laughs> and uh, because uh, e economists were concerned about the income consequences of, of, of trade policies, so they, they, it was very easy to look at these classes. But then these class structure became encrypted into economic textbooks as factors of production, land, labor, and capital, which I think it's, it's not very helpful when we want to understand what's happening with economic growth. And so there was another economist in the 1970s, um, Bolden, an American economist, and he said, if we want to understand economic growth, we should move away from labor, capital, and land, and we should look at the uh, matter, energy, and knowledge. Because what production is, production is the transformation of matter using energy and applying knowledge. And if you look at this distinction, you immediately see that knowledge is the only factor that can be accumulated, that can be increased. Matter is only transformed. It changes its form, its composition. Energy is obviously consumed gets less and less, and the more you produce, the faster you reduce the available energy in the system. Knowledge, instead, can be improved. And it's only the improvement of knowledge that increases productivity, that tells us, helps us to discover better ways of transforming matter, or more efficient ways of using energy, or more energy sources. So it's all, it's all about increasing knowledge. Now, the problem with knowledge is that our brains, our heads, are limited. They don't grow with the knowledge that we produce. No? They, they limited. So how can society um, use knowledge that is bigger than our heads can store or learn and apply? Well, that's division of labor. Division of labor allows us to use the knowledge we don't even know about <laughs> uh, of other people um, in a very complicated, more and more sophisticated uh, system. And this is driving globalization. Uh, more and more people get integrated in this huge knowledge platform, the huge knowledge pool that we are using today. 
Now, um, the big problem is then, if this happening, if, if, if what we can observe, the growth and change in globalization, we say from the national society to global society, if this is sort of driven by growth of knowledge, and we're saying we're living in a knowledge society, but actually, relative to the pool of knowledge that is out there, each one of us becomes more and more stupid. We know less and less of what is actually relevant for us. And, and so this, I call it ignorance. <laughs> it's not, uh, it's not, um, it's not uh, voluntary. It's not a, I can be ignorant because I don't want to know. It's an ignorance that we cannot avoid. And how do we cope with this ignorance? And this has to do with all sorts of things and also with social cohesion. Because if we only know part of what actually affects us, in fact, we, we, we normally ignore this fact that we don't know <laughs> because it, it's not nice you know, to, <laughs> to wake up and think, oh God, so many things I don't know. <laughs> so we tend to ignore these facts. But um, this is the source of fear and it's the source of misinformation, of fake information. And, and who controls knowledge production and who influences and the role of the media becomes, of course, very important in this context of people only know, knowing partially, partial, uh, have only partial knowledge of the whole, uh, the knowledge of the whole system. So uh, this is one um, aspect. And this is, for me, I'm studying governance, corporate governance, but also uh, governance in general. And I think this division of knowledge uh, increasing division of knowledge is one of the fundamental problems of governance. And um, the question is how institutions can, can sort of cope with this uh, aspect of uh, people having to make decisions. Uh, they have responsibility, they have maybe leadership, um, but they don't know. <laughs> They're ignorant. <laughs> So how can we make sure that they take the right decisions? Um, so for me, that's my, my input to this uh, big discussion. Thank you very much. <laughs>